Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. about being able to do whatever you want, when you want, and and to whomever you want? Or maybe you've dreamed about never having to take crap off of anybody ever again. If so, then the mafia could be the perfect profession for you. For the first time in history, there's now an easy-to-follow self-help guide on how to join and rise in the most exclusive men's club in the world, the mafia. Learn everything from loan sharking to leg breaking to corpse disposal, all without leaving the comfort of your mobile home or your prison cell. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Imagine Publicity on Air. This is your host, Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com. And today's author interview, I promise you, hang in here with us because it is going to be off. The charts. Um, as I said in my my introduction, this is all about how to survive and thrive in the American mafia. The book is Underworld by Roman Martin. Welcome, Roman. Let's go. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Delilah. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show. And uh, that was uh, beautifully said. Thank you. <laughs> you bet. Well, you know, just for the sake of getting to know you, who are you and where did you come from? Uh, I grew up in San Francisco. Um, I spent uh, most of my life there. And then I moved to L.A. probably 14 years ago. Um, and uh, I was a, a writer in Hollywood uh, with uh, varying degrees of success for a long time. And uh, that finally petered out. Uh, and I didn't know what else to do uh, with my life. Uh, and I started fantasizing about a dream project that I had been thinking about for years, about how to be a successful mobster. And that's how I, I started this project. I don't know too many people that sit around thinking about how to become a mobster. I, I know, you know, you see a lot of movies and I'm sure everyone out there, of course, has seen the Godfather and Goodfellas and wise guys and all of those. And, you know, you, you think about 
these kids on the street corner watching, you know, John Gotti strut by, you know, I want to grow up and be just like him. And I'm sure that that's definitely in the back of their minds. Was, was that the case with you? I mean, did you have early exposure or was this just something that came about? No, I've, I've always been a movie and book nerd. Um, when I was a very young boy, far too young, to watch it, I saw The Godfather 1 and 2, and uh, I was hooked from that point on. I just was so fascinated by that world. And uh, also too young, I just started devouring every nonfiction book I could find about the, the Italian-American uh, mafia, a.k.a. La Cosa Nostra, uh, and other, about other organi- organized crime groups. So uh, it's all been a vicarious living, but, uh, you know, I think I, I suffer from a very mild case of uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. So I can't seem to uh, sort of uh, read any other genre of literature. So, you know, I figured I might as well lean into it and start writing my own books. Well, that was that was a good choice. So, you know, they say that um, as far as podcasts and books and so forth, true crime is like the most popular genre right now. And so why do you think the public is so infatuated with with not only true crime, but with the mafia? Because there's a lot of, you know, former um, former mafia members who have come out and written books or starred in movies and there's now the mob museum in Las Vegas. What do you, how did this happen? Well, I, I can only speak about nonfiction mafia books and mob books. Uh, I don't read any other subgenre of true crime. I, I, I'm not interested in serial killers or, uh, street gangs or things like that. But with the mafia, I think it, it's pretty clear that mobsters, as you said earlier, get to do whatever they want, when they want, to whom they want. And isn't that really what we all sort of fantasize about, right? Someone cuts us off in traffic and we get upset and we're like, God, I wish I could, you know, yell at that guy or I wish I could you know, tell my boss to to shove it, but we don't, of course, because we're sort of hampered by these uh, these unspoken rules of uh, civility and society. But mobsters uh, rise above all that, or depending on how you look at it, sink below it. So they get to do whatever we wa- they want. So I think as a society, we all live vicariously through them. I also think that mobsters. Uh, exhibit these sort of archetypes, historical archetypes that we, as a, again, as a society are fascinated with, whether it's like you know, pirates from the, the late uh, 1700s or Wild West gunfighters or 1920s bank robbers. I think that's, that's why we love to read and books and watch movies and TV shows about them. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's you're right, it's kind of the good versus evil, the good guys and the bad guys, cops and robbers sort of thing, and the fascination with the way that the mafia gets around all that they get around, and still, they still have to live within the rules of their of their family, if you want to call it that, 
how strict are those rules? That, that's a really good point. And it's interesting because, I mean, it's almost ironic that you're right. These, these individuals that get into the mob because they don't want to follow society's rules and laws to adhere to a far more rigid and potentially more dangerous uh, set of of rules in their own crime families, right? You can't, you, you're not supposed to sleep with another member's wife or daughter. You're not supposed to do this or that. And of course, the penalty is often fatal. So, uh, but, but, you know, I think I actually, you know, one of the people I interviewed was a, a, a sort of a psychotherapist to the stars in, in LA. And he treated a lot of ex mobsters for post-traumatic stress and depression and so forth. And I asked him why he thought I was so fascinated with the mafia as opposed to any other organized crime group. And he said, it's because uh, I like the fact that there is sort of this rigid set of rules and, and uh, uh, such a stratified hierarchy because it gives order to an otherwise chaotic world. That's a good point. That's a very good point. And in, in reading through your book, I mean, you drop names like crazy. <laughs> I mean, I know uh, you personally interviewed lots and lots of people. Give us a little background on that. Um, yeah. I uh, I spent three years uh, traveling, traveling around the world and uh, interviewing all kinds of mobsters, gangsters, drug lords, con men, uh, former federal organized crime strike force prosecutors here in the United States. Um, I, just, I just couldn't get enough of it. I mean, it got to the point where I literally had to say, no more. Everyone else will go for the next book. Um, but I just, I just love, I love interacting with these ex-monsters, they have such fascinating stories to tell, and they want and they, they are aware of that, they want to share their stories, they, they've led fascinating lives and, and I think they all seem to want the truth about their lives to be told um, they all despise uh, the inaccurate caricatures portrayed in Hollywood movies and TV shows that really irks them. So I thought I will try to be as faithful as possible to their truths and see how the public reacts. You know, it's interesting. I don't know what happened or what time frame, but it seemed like you didn't hear former mobsters talk about what happened. There was kind of a code of silence in the in the rules, I guess. And then all of a sudden, there's all these former uh, mobsters who have either ratted on everybody else or, you know, they're, now they're all out here telling their stories and telling kind of the secrets of the trade. Why and how do you think that came about? Well, the, the very first uh, made member, that's an officially inducted member of Cosa Nostra, which is our thing in Italian, to uh, publicly speak about the mafia was a, a low-level 
soldier in the Genovese crime family in New York named Joseph Valachi, a.k.a. Joe Cargo. And he spoke uh, before a Senate uh, subcommittee investigating organized crime. So he's the first one who revealed, and these were, uh, you know, nationally televised sessions. He was the first one to divulge the secrets of the mafia, including the oath of omerta, where you are not to reveal uh, the secrets of uh, the families upon pain of death. But then uh, we really didn't get any uh, more exposure from another mob guy until probably 1977 when uh, uh, the former acting boss of the L.A. family named Jimmy the Weasel Fradiano flipped. And then uh, we jump forward, I would say, probably maybe another decade or so, where these mobsters were suddenly getting prosecuted under the federal racketeering statute known as RICO, which stands for the Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organizations Act. Now, that's uh, typically life sentences. So once these guys were getting hit with this, these draconian sentences, uh, they decided, well, you know, maybe I should uh, rat everyone out and maybe get myself a get-out-of-jail-free card. So um, I think that, that was like the big turning point. Once the RICO prosecutions started coming down in the mid-'80s, that's when you saw a lot of mobsters coming forward. Yeah, that's quite true. Sammy the Bull, Graviano, and all of that, that was – the, the most recent one that sticks in my mind, and aren't most of them put into witness protection, and how does that work out for them? Yeah, the, it, the, the actual name is called, I mean, the, the, act, the, the sort of the shortened name is WITSEC, which stands for the Witness Security Program. I'm not really sure where the, the common term witness protection program came from, but that's actually inaccurate. Yeah, and that's run by the United States Marshal Service. And what's funny is that uh, they seem to stick half of these rats, as I call them, uh, into uh, the Phoenix, Arizona area. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know if it's to save money or, or what, but half of the guys, uh, ex-mobsters, mafiosi, uh, that I interviewed were from that area. Um I don't know if you ever saw that great comedy in 1990 called My Blue Heaven with Steve Martin. Um, but uh, he gets put in, I think, in Phoenix, and he walks into, like, a, a diner, and all his old ex-mobster friends are there. They're all rats, and they're all living in the same place. That's actually what it was like, apparently. They're all, I don't know why, but they all seem to live there. That's quite interesting. I did see that movie. enjoyed it. It was pretty funny. So... Was there ever a time when you were, you know, searching out or, or interviewing one of these people that was kind of scary for you? Well, um, for, I mean, first of all, I want to say that without exception, every single, every single individual I interviewed were, were always extremely respectful and polite. No one ever threatened me, but there were like a couple guys that they were just clearly such inherently frightening individuals that I definitely felt some chills uh, going up my spine. Um, ironically, one of the guys was uh, 
he must have been about 70 years old. He was a, a major cocaine trafficker uh, in Orange County in Southern California. Um, he was just a frightening guy. He, he was off the record when I interviewed him, but his eyes reminded me of a, of a great white shark, just so flat and dead. And I kept looking at his hands. He just had huge huge hands he was a big guy i mean at 70 years old i was still very frightened of him and uh and the way he looked at me i mean the the thousand yard stare is that's actually a real thing when he looked at me it was like he was looking beyond me into some other world so that those were the some of the only few times that i felt actually uh very uneasy being around uh, my interview subjects. Right. Well, I would imagine, you know, you think about some of these people and, and the hits and the murders that they've committed and wonder, you know, how many bodies did you put in the ground? Yeah, I, it, that would be a little bit unsettling, I think, to look at this guy's hands and think, you know, be one one throat punch and you're gone. <laughs> that, yeah, that's funny. When I was I was staring at the man's hands. I was thinking, wow, he could just, at 70 years old, he would have no problem reaching out and just throttling me if he, if he wanted. So I better be very careful about what questions I ask him. (laughs) But in the end, I I actually had a couple interviews with him and in the end it was, it was fine. He was very nice. good. Well, who do you feel was the most interesting or exciting person that you interviewed for this book? Hmm. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, w- one of the most interesting guys I think was, uh, who was you know, unnamed, but he was a major background source was, a was, a uh, officially, uh, inducted member of, uh, Lyme which is the Mexican mafia prison gang, which actually operates as a major uh, organized crime group. Um, he gave me, he had spent, uh, he's known as a carnale, which is Spanish slang for brother. And he just gave me so much fascinating information about uh, the California prison system and prison in general across the United States, what life is like real life is like in maximum security prisons. And I thought I knew everything because I've read so many books and I've seen Shawshank Redemption like a hundred (laughs) times, but he really opened my eyes to a whole world that I don't think, I think very, very, very few people are aware of what life is really like. So I'm grateful to him. So you really, you reached out beyond just the Italian mafia into other Mafias, I guess. I guess mafia. We think of the Italian group, but it it really is a word that spans a lot of different cultures. Is that true? Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, mafia is now like a generic term across the world, right? They're like, okay, the the Israeli mafia or the Indonesian mafia. So it's now a generic term for organized crime group. But you're right. I decided to sort of follow whatever tangents I, I, you know, stumbled across. But I mean, obviously the, the, the vast 
majority of my book is is dedicated to the Italian American mafia. But but yeah, I, I definitely branched out. I, I interviewed a guy who was a sergeant at arms, which is the enforcer for uh, a chapter of the Hells Angels in Northern California. Uh, his job, he was a member of the Filthy Few, which is the assassination squad in the Hells Angels. They're the ones that clean house. Um, and they're the ones that go and kill uh, enemy gang members from, from other clubs. Um, but yeah, I, I basically followed um, you know, all these other leads. I thought it makes for a, a richer, uh, more diverse reading experience. What about some of the like street gangs like MS-13 and and those types of gangs, which I guess could also come under the mafia umbrella? Were you able to get a read on any of those? I, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't be less interested in street gangs because I've always been I've always been fascinated by organized crime. I would consider them to be to a certain extent. Um, somewhat disorganized it's just not those groups are not as rigidly stratified uh, stratified as uh, cosa nostra and so i just you know i've never really been that interested although for the third book in my series that i'm researching now i actually did do some research on uh on crips and bloods a lot to get some more uh you know interesting information and details about what it's like to to be involved in wars, ongoing wars in criminal groups. So I am starting to now dip my toe into into those groups as well. When do you feel do you feel a book like yours that is you know very telling and and some of it's pretty doggone funny the way it was written and, and the way that you presented it, is it, is it in some way glamorizing the life of, of people in the mafia? Um, I think if you read my book, uh, I think the last thing you'll want to do is join the mafia. I mean, I, you're, you're right. I sort of couch it in this gallows humor Right. I, I like to think that the book is kind of like uh, has the same comedic tone as Pulp Fiction or Breaking Bad, dark, dark humor. But um, no, I mean, the, the life in the mafia, it's going to result in I mean, there's only three, three, uh, three endings. Right. Murder. You're murdered or you do life in prison or you become a rat. So, I mean, it's a pretty dead-end existence, and, uh, you know, you'd have to be crazy to join the mob after reading my book. But but I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm actually not trying to glamorize it or even de-glamorize it. I just wanted to to show people what it's really, really like with sort of a more, uh, I guess, macroscopic or global perspective on what life is like in a crime family. Well, you know, with your subtitle, "How to Survive and Thrive in the Mafia," what are what are some of your your best known tips? Um, I guess uh, I, I highly encourage uh, anyone who's interested in joining the mafia to, to go into the military first, which seems uh, you know antithetical, but uh, the military teaches you a lot of critical skills 
that you need to survive and thrive in an organized crime family, right? It teaches you how to uh, engage in hand-to-hand combat, how to use small arms, how to take orders, how to follow orders, how to shut yourself off emotionally when you kill your enemy. Um, So I think that might be a a tip. If you absolutely insist on joining the mob, I would strongly suggest going into uh, the military first. Good point. Good point. Learn how to take orders because that's what you're going to do. <laughs> so in in all of the people that you interviewed, who who was the creepiest member of the of the mob? I mean, was there I mean, somebody like the Iceman that was just actually enjoyed doing his hits? You know, you know I mean, the guy the guy I interviewed in, in Orange County, the 70-year-old, I definitely think he derived pleasure from murdering his enemies. He killed a lot of people. Um, and he really served no time, I mean, very little time in jail during the scope of his career. But I I think that he enjoyed, based on the things he said, and then, you know, not, none of these guys ever come out and say, unless it's already been well-documented that they've murdered a specific individual or that they murdered anyone in general. It's always sort of oblique um, when they talk about the murders. But when he talked about uh, the, the enemies that he had disposed of, his, that was the only time those dead, flat, black eyes came to life. He, that was the only time he smiled when he was talking about um, how he had killed all these people. Um, and again, it's in a very oblique way. There's certain language that you have to be attuned to to understand what they're saying. Gives me shivers thinking about it. <laughs> well, let's kind of flip over a little bit. I know you you also interviewed a lot of prosecutors and task force members, uh, FBI agents. Uh, what What did you get in their perspective about all of this? Um, It's interesting because, I mean, I'm highly critical of the Department of Justice, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and the FBI. Uh, Obviously, I'm highly critical of the way they they operate. Um, I mean, in my opinion, for them, the ends always justify the means. They don't really care about truth or justice. All they care about is winning, because with winning, their careers advance, and then they move on to the cushy private sector jobs. But I, I found there's what, I, in my opinion, are good guys and bad guys in the mafia and uh, in uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office. And what I mean by that is I was drawn to people who really followed their own strict code of ethics, their own form of Bushido, for lack of a better term. And uh, those were the people that I was really drawn to, Um, right? I I liked mob guys that really never hurt um, women or children or, you know, older people or civilians. I really found myself drawn to those um, and same with some prosecutors that I felt were were very uh, honorable people, um, people who 
these were prosecutors who treated the mob guys with respect and didn't like BS them. And, you know, it was to a point it was self-serving because they realized, you know what, these could be potential informants and I should treat them with respect so that that door is always open. So those are the people that, and I, I really was, uh, I really was drawn to those kinds of prosecutors who really followed the, the laws who didn't try to, subvert uh, the entire judicial process, who didn't try to hide exculpatory evidence or to force certain people to testify. You can, you can read about, you know, I, I have, there's this, you know, special place in hell reserved for certain people that you have to read about in my book and how they really sort of perverted the entire system. Well, speaking about FBI informants, um, what kind of damage did they actually do to the organized crime business? I mean, I, I mean, they've, I mean, they've had an absolutely like catastrophic effect on organized crime um, because you got to figure, you know, so a top, a top criminal defense attorney that I spoke to who represented some mob guys, uh, quite a bit of mob guys in New York said, Whenever I interview, I initially start with, a, you know, interviewing a small group of, of mob guys when I'm involved in a case. And he's, he told me, I always assume that at least one third of these guys are wearing a wire. <laughs> so that's, that's how pervasive um, informants have become. But, you know, interestingly, informants are, haven't been the number one factor in decimating Cosa Nostra, uh, gentrification has been by far. Um, you just don't have these sort of urban uh, breeding grounds that were traditional hotbeds of the mafia, right? Uh, Brooklyn, uh, South Philadelphia, um, south side of Chicago, these areas have all become so gentrified that you don't have little young Henry Hills staring in awe outside their window as the gangsters uh, step out of their big shiny Cadillacs. So that's really been what's decimated the mafia the most. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. It, the the neighborhood was always the breeding ground in in the, back in the day and I you know you hear stories about people uh, people in the neighborhood aren't going to give up the information because they're actually receiving the protection and they're being protected by who we perceive as the bad guys, and but yet to them they weren't. That, and, and that's, that's yeah, that's that's exactly right. I, you know, I, I think in one of my chapters I talk about the the best way to break into the mafia, and one of the best ways is to um, convince your parents to move to a mob-dominated neighborhood, and uh, because that's where you'll run into the wise guys, and they'll see you around and then know you're part of the neighborhood and they'll trust you. Um, and it shouldn't be too hard to convince your parents because those neighborhoods have zero street crime because mob guys don't, uh, they don't poop where they eat and they don't let other um, sort of street criminals ply their trades in their neighborhoods. <laughs> so, uh, Good point. you know, I think I, I quoted, Someone who's, uh, I guess, one neighbor who lived, uh, I forgot, I think she was in Bensonhurst. And she said, you know what, they're, they're, they're bad guys, 
but there are bad guys. And there's no purse snatchings. There's no muggings in this neighborhood. You'd have to be crazy. <laughs> I totally agree. Back to the FBI. Um, you, you've apparently learned some secrets along the way, some of the FBI's secrets. Is there anything you can tell us? Uh, the, the one thing that really uh, blew me away was I, I interviewed a, a, a off the record a, a corrupt uh, narcotics detective from uh, from Southern California, and he had been he had worked he was a, a member of a like a city police department, um, but he had been trained by the FBI in Quantico. And he was the co-head of a joint organized crime task force with the FBI. So he learned all their secrets. And the, one of the things that he told me was the number one way to ferret out a suspected undercover cop or federal agent in your crew is to force him, is to tell him that you want him to provide you with a firearm, with a gun, so you can kill one of your enemies. No way is a legitimate cop or uh, agent ever going to give you a gun for any reason whatsoever, much less to go kill one of your enemies uh, because that would make them an accessory to murder, part of the murder conspiracy. They could be prosecuted themselves. I mean, it would all hell would break loose. Um, but by the way, I do caution that uh, if, if the guy does give you an actual working pistol, uh, don't actually go out and kill someone because that's bad karma. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be in, in more ways than one. <laughs> well, what? What, you, know, you, you spoke earlier about doing a series. What's the next book? Um, so I... Uh, I finished, I spent 10 months researching the follow-up uh, to the first book. So it's going to be a, I'm going to have a, 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 an extensive, uh, seemingly never-ending series of books under the Underworld main title. Um, the second one that's going to be coming out, hopefully in spring, uh, is called Underworld, How to Survive and Thrive as an American Mafia Boss. So, um, you know, now that you've uh, read my first book, hopefully, and learned uh, everything you know to become a soldier in the mafia, it's time to step up your game and learn how to become a boss. Well, of course, and move on up the ladder as, as just like corporate America. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. Right. So of all the movies and books that you've read and watched over the years and, and not only your research, but for your own entertainment, what, what are your favorites? Uh, for movies, hands down, obviously Godfather one and two are tied. Um, the third one was an, was an atrocious embarrassment. Uh, just awful, unwatchable, but one and two of the absolute, my favorite mafia films ever. Um, and as far as books, I'd say hands down um, Murder Machine by uh, Gene Mustaine and Jerry Capecci. Uh, those are veteran crime reporters. Murder Machine was about uh, the Roy DeMeo crew 
in uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, they uh, thrived in, from uh, the mid '70s to right around '83 when Roy DeMeo himself was murdered. Um, their crew, they were one of the two main workhorse crews, which are assassination crews in the Gambino crime family, and they murdered uh, easily over 200 people. Uh, and it, it was just so fascinating. They literally had a group of five or six serial killers in this one crew. Um, and I just thought that was the most fascinating and terrifying and <laughs> most entertaining uh, true crime book about the mafia I ever read. That's one I haven't heard of. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, so let's tell everyone out there who who is looking to survive and thrive as a mobster, where can they get your book? Uh, Amazon. Um, if you just uh, type in Underworld uh, Roman Martin, it'll pop up. Also, you can uh, buy it directly from my publisher, which is Wild Blue Press. So wildbluepress.com. Um, I also I would like to thank them uh, profusely. They've been absolutely wonderful in uh, in putting my book together and uh, helping me promote it and so forth. So those are the two big places. Great. And so as we're winding down, what is the one last thing you want to leave listeners with today? What do you want them to take away from our conversation as well as your book, Underworld? Um, well, I, I would like to think that my book is uh, fairly unique from all the other true crime mob books out there because it's really, really funny. I think so. I mean, I, granted, I have a twisted sense of humor, but, uh, you know, there's also an irreverent history of uh, Cosa Nostra embedded in, in my uh, self-help guide. So I hope uh, anyone who uh, loves to laugh uh, at the really uh, disturbing subjects, uh, I think they'll like my book. Also, I want to... Uh, I want to sort of put out a, a, a little, you know, uh, a little uh, plea for cooperation with all other uh, true crime mafia writers out there. Um, I want to form a group, sort of a self-help, uh, cross-promotional uh, support group with uh, writers like my good friend uh, Denny Griffin, um, who sort of get together and review each other's books and promote each other and sort of uh, grow it organically from there. So we'll see how that goes. That's a great idea. It can only get better and it can only make all of you better as writers and storytellers. I think that's a great idea. Uh, and in this oh, world of social uh, media, it's, it's good to have that community together and cross promote. Exactly. Well, I'm, st I'm just starting to get into that and, uh, you can also uh, sort of delve into my little twisted world uh, on my website, which is uh, under construction, but it should be up and running in a couple weeks. It's uh, uh, www.underworldblog.com. So hopefully you guys will uh, oh, will join. We'll watch for that. Don't forget. 
Well, I, I have to say I really enjoyed reading this book. I know, you know, listeners out there, if you have any any kind of interest in, in becoming mobsters, this is definitely the, the how-to book. And you definitely, if you're going to be a mobster, you want to survive and thrive, right? So pick up a copy, <laughs> go to Wild Blue Press, go to Amazon, get your copy, and do do Roman a favor and every other author out there. If you're reading their book, take five minutes out of your time and go leave a review. Hopefully it'll be a good review, but even, you know, even if you didn't like it, let's tell somebody so they can improve what they're doing. Um, but reviews oh. are very, very important and it just takes a couple clicks to get it done. So as we, as we close out this, this episode of imagine publicity on air, I want to say, you know, if, if the mob is the life you choose, Learn how to survive and thrive, and by all means, be kind to each other. Thank you very much, Delilah. You bet. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.